WERU health-related programming is made possible in part by the Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, providing comprehensive reproductive and sexual health services for all women of all ages at all stages since 1984. Insurance, main care, Deergo, and self-pay accepted. MabelWadsworth.org. Information presented on health-related programs on WERU is not meant to be taken as medical advice. Please talk with your health care provider if you have any questions or concerns. WERU is made possible by the generous support of our listeners. And this is Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. Stay tuned for Healthy Options with your host, Cynthia Swan. Good morning. Cynthia Swan here. And we're going to enter the realm of dreams this morning as we talk about archetypal dreaming. Can our dreams really heal us? My guests today, Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster, are both co-directors of the, new, the North of Eden Retreat Center. Mark Bregman is a master teacher and the founder of the Archetypal Dreamwork Therapy Process and Krista Lancaster, also a master teacher and therapist, together founded the North of Eden Center. Welcome, Mark and Krista. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks so much for having us on your show. Delighted to have you. Let's dive right in. I'm going to ask you three questions and give you time to, to, to really um, flesh it out. What is an archetype? What is a dream? And what is archetypal dreaming? Good questions. Um, Mark, you want to do archetype? Uh, Well, an archetype really is a little different from other folks' uh, use of archetype. We use the word archetype really to denote that which is divine within each one of us. Um, So instead of it being uh, exactly the way Jung described it, it's more we use it as a synonym for the divine. So when we speak of an archetype in the dream coming uh, to bring us teaching or learning or healing, it's, it's really an embodiment or personification of the divine. Great. And then, and then how do you define dream in this context? And then putting those two together, archetypal dreaming. Well, essentially, the uh, dream is an embodiment of the archetype itself. So, in other words, the archetype is, um, from Carl's point of view and from our point of view, it isn't. It isn't a. It is not a symbol of maleness or male qualities or femaleness or female qualities. Although we do project those qualities into the world, and but it's something that relates to our inner life. So. In a dream, the animus would call call the animus or the anima of the woman are archetypes, meaning they're they're beings from inside of us. And um, even though we tend to reject it, like we tend to look for women, often look for a man that reflects the search for the divine within her or the soul, the child. Having a child is a reflection of the soul within a, within the mother. 
these projections really just make us neurotic because we, we, we don't become or relate to the thing that's within us, but rather we try to create it in the outer world. Of course, our children can't be their soul. They grow up and leave. Then we're bereft. Um, or we, 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 you know, we, we have to understand that in the dreams where we're constantly taking care of children, the children really are our souls. We do not need to be taken care of in our dreams. But we're so used to being parents, we're so used to being lovers and living in the world, we, we don't really understand this thing called archetypes to be Mark, I have to kind of jump in here and interrupt you because the sound quality, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I can hear you speak, but I can't really quite understand the words. Oh, dear. Krista, I, Krista I, hear you, no? I hear you great, but I'm having what? trouble with Mark, and, I, and that's such you important... Now I can. Thank you. My phone was given to me being off. So. Ah, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we've got. Yeah, now I've got you. And and I, I hate to make you back up a little bit, but but no. yes, if you if you would a little bit because that was so um, that was such a great response. And I, I if you for our listeners, if you'd give it again. Yeah, it's okay. I'm very sorry. Our engineers are not here today, and so I'm having to fend for myself. So. Um, Okay, so what I'm trying to say is that the archetypal world in our dreams, they're real beings. In other words, when the animist comes to you, even as uh, he may come to you as your famous actor or sports person or as a stranger, most often, not always, the male comes to you is an animist figure. It's the real male or a child in the dream that may come as your daughter when you were, they were young, or a son, or a current child. It's never your child. It's never about your child. It's mostly about your own soul. And so we live our lives externally and live in the projection of the inner life. So it's very hard, you know, this question of what's a dream. A dream is actually the reality that we're actually living in an illusion or a projection of a reality that's inside of us. So the dream is calling us to face into ourselves and into the archetypal reality uh, head on. So what we tend to, so how we do that and how the work progresses has a lot to do with what the therapist works with the client. For example, if the animus comes and you run from him because you think he's, you feel vulnerable and you can't be vulnerable and you run from him in your dream, that's probably what you do in relationship to men. But typically, since men are as messed up as we are, if, <laughs> if I'm a woman talking, or the men that I choose, then I can blame it on the man. But the dream often will show you as the problem not the person you chose. Well, obviously the person you chose can be a problem. But it's often the problem is always with us. So it's turning it around means looking at ourselves in order to face into the teaching of the archetype. And to be remembered, the archetype creates the dream for us to learn about ourselves and reverse the projection and become connected to the drama and the mythos that will unfold 
in our dream life if we follow that path. Chris, do you want to comment further? I'm sure I'm confusing people. Well, Cindy, I, I, what, I, what I hear Mark talking about is actually a very core principle of archetypal dream work, which mm-hmm. is a form of dream work, a way of looking and feeling into the sort of feeling core of a dream. Now, that may sound very simplistic, but every every dream really has an opening to a deeper a deeper layer or level of our of our beingness. So I just want to relate what Mark's saying to that principle that is sort of the central um, way, really, that we work with dreams, which is about projection and reaction um, and about bringing back projections so that instead of being furious at, you know, the car that's just passed us on the way to work, that we can stop and bring back that moment of reactivity, the, the reaction of anger, that flash of annoyance or irritation, and to ask a really simple question, you know, what is, what is this for me? It's almost like archetypal dream work is a, is, a, is a practice of pulling back on a daily level the ways that we react in the world to, so that we can actually descend in a way that Carl Jung wrote about in his um, posthumously published the Red Book, which I'm sure many of your viewers um, have, have stumbled upon if they're spiritual seekers, because it's such a wealth of, of information about the way that Carl traveled through and down into these interior passageways, which all sounds very mysterious, but I also really like to let people know that archetypal dream work, even though it deals with the mystery of our own spiritual unfolding, no less. It's incredibly practical because every moment of the day is an opportunity to see where we're projecting something of ourselves out and therefore, in a way, like losing the, the, uh, the molten um, ore that would be transformed if we could feel the feeling underneath the reaction. So, Krista, is it fair to say that archetypal dream work is also um, a part of soul cultivation or reclamation of the soul? Absolutely. You kind of nailed it, Cindy. It is. Soul reclamation is a lovely way of putting it. Because the dreams, one by one, will take you through every step of healing and clearing the past and and particularly uh, trauma to be able to reclaim, you know, all the pieces of the soul that we leave behind when there's a break or a crisis or a trauma and we have to shut off some part of our, the access to the soul. Because in a way the soul is never touched. That's the great thing about the trauma response is that it protects this precious soul until we're ready to make the journey back. Well, that's interesting. In your in your book that you both authored, Flesh Off the Bone, The Dream Descent Through Past Life Trauma, you you I'm I'm gonna take I'm gonna I extrapolated a, a quote that I want you um to speak uh to because we're as long as we're going that way. Mm-hmm. And um it the quote is the soul does not want to live just inside of us. It wants to live inside of us into the world. Right. Right, because we all have deep down in these wells and within us, the soul lives almost kind of like 
sleeping, not asleep, but awake, but waiting as we're sleeping, as, as we wake up to it. And I think, I think we all have those moments um, when someone dear to us dies or there's an epiphany or, you know, some sort of extraordinary moment and we feel the depths of who we are and it's our soul sort of rising up. And then we go back to our everyday life and humdrum and mundane and um, it's so much easier, isn't it, in a way to negate that, the sounding that's coming forth from that um, gorgeous core of our being. Because, of course, if it was just a matter of feeling joy or love or passion or excitement, we'd all, I guess, be running there. But for most of us, there are layers to be felt into that are more difficult because it sounds like you're, you're very familiar with this kind of way of thinking that the soul can only be found through the feelings of what we had to, what we couldn't feel at the time of some kind of wounding or split or separation. Exactly. And, and you speak to that in your book. And I, just for the listeners, let, let's um, give them, uh, you know, let's explain the difference. Let, explain the difference between what a feeling is and what emotion is. Okay. I love this question. Um, the difference really is a feeling is something within us that that goes further down into our being that opens up to another core feeling so that real what i think of as pure heart loss opens to love or the sort of tremulous uh being on the threshold of the unknown fear opens to joy and other states of being Whereas an emotional, what I think of as an emotional reaction is the same old, same old cycle, the sort of closed circuit of repetitive behaviors that go nowhere and actually never change. So our sort of stubborn irritation, instead of exploring what's beneath that, we just have that, you know, for Mm -hmm. a lifetime. And, um, you know... People just get stuck in those patterns. But the dream will give you the sort of silver key in the magic doorway out of those stubborn, reactive patterns. Excellent. You're listening to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 FM Bangor, and WERU.org streaming online. My guests today are Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster, and they are both co-directors of the North of Eden Retreat Center, in which this archetypal dream work, which is a, a type of felt feeling work, um, in which our dreams lead us back to our core selves, our souls. And um, they do this work at their center and also places beyond. And I want to give your website as well. The website is um, www.northofeden.com. And also, if you'd like to call the center, 802-229-4785 in Montpelier, Vermont. Um, So let's continue this discussion. I have have a question for you now, Mark. Um, In the reading of Flesh Off the Bone, and I want to delve into that a little bit more deeply before we um, open up in the latter half of this show to questions from from listeners. You talk about um, how dreams keep us or make us honest. Want to speak to that? Sure. Um, So can you hear me? Yes, I can. 
So while there's three, uh, we call three stages of dreaming, and the first stage is what uh, Krista talked about, is looking at what a reaction is. Now, reactions aren't just about having anger. You could be reacting or compensating for other feelings by being loving. Mm -hmm. The treachery of dreaming or the treachery of living is that that you, that you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't, like, you may have things about yourself that you think are really great things, and they may really be great things, but if they don't reflect the journey to the soul or if they in any way obstruct the soul, the dream is going to give you that as a problem. And so you get a kind of a, in stage one dreaming, you get these, these, these corrections about that even if it's a positive uh, way of being, it can also be a reaction and a way of avoiding a deeper feeling. In other words, it wouldn't be a problem if you were in the, if you could get to your feeling, but when things avoid other things, they're thrown up in the dream as a problem. And because in our world we have good and bad, and, and good is good and bad is bad, if you do something good, that everybody likes, then it's hard to look at it from the dream's point of view that, well, yeah, it may be good, but it's a problem to the soul because it's an obstruction to a deeper feeling that reflects the journey to the soul. So the idea of the first stage dreaming is you get these corrections, and they're not pleasant because they're usually linked to a blind spot about our, our behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, also what happens is the way we feel about ourselves in a particular moment and the way, we, the way other people feel us are often different. And we don't, it's another example of a blind spot where we're not really in the soul's heart, but rather we're in some kind of reaction that looks to be, that looks to be loving to us, but is actually obnoxious to the other person. And then that creates the conflict. Well, I'm loving and that person doesn't care and, or they do care, and I'm depressed, even though they love me back, or mm -hmm. different ways of spinning around and not really dropping into the divine love, into the soul's ability to feel divine love, which is an entirely different experience. Maybe we have it a few seconds in our lives, but, not, but it's very rare. Maslow used to call it peak experiences. We call it not enough, and the dream calls it not enough, and it wants us to find the soul and the well of love that can change our lives and everybody around us. But this kind of exposure um, really m makes one quite vulnerable. Absolutely, and you hit it. I mean, where does it go? I mean, because of trauma and the way the world is and how we've been taught, we tend to grow rapidly from a vulnerable five-year-old to a tough person or a person who's caring for others because, yes, we're not vulnerable. We're doing, we don't realize we're not vulnerable even, but yes, that's right. And the vulnerability is actually a form of fear. At the deepest core, it's actually feels like fear, but it's fear that opens to the love, not the fear that that's remembers the threat of something bad. So it's a very positive type of vulnerability is a positive type of fear. But anyway, yes. But the first step is before you get to the alchemy and the, the changing of energies, which is what Carl talks so much about in the Red Book, mm -hmm. you have to 
uh, die in the desert. You have to leave behind your concepts of right and wrong and of your ego's perceptions of itself. That's so, a very tough. So for order. listeners, for listeners who don't know that what that word means, or so many people have different definitions for the word ego in this context. What what is the definition of ego? Yes, uh, good point. Um, we all have an ego. The ego is just simply a field of consciousness of self-awareness. We all need that. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about ego in terms of a pathological sense. It's how, we, how our sense of self blocks us from our deeper feelings. And so the concept or the idealized self has to be put off to the side in order to go underneath and find the place of openness to uh, ourselves from a place of letting go of judgments and right and wrong and ideas about how we are. It's not easy to do. Right, right. In Carl's book, that's called The First Step. He calls it the desert, having to live in the desert and let this die off in you so that you can then take the journey. Right. Now, and, and, uh, and you talk about in Flesh Off the Bone, the both of you talk about, and, and I think particularly this is the Krista, there's um, uh, uh, a chapter or a few paragraphs about dream and relationship. And, and I believe, Krista, you say that we sometimes use relationships as a way to avoid our true selves. Yeah, I think we, we all do really in some way. So that we can, if we can be in a relationship where we can blame the other person for why we're not happy um, or why we're not fulfilled, it's because of him, or he, he says, well, she doesn't like to have sex anymore, and she says, well, he never wants to go somewhere with me, whatever it is. It is if we look to the other in relationship. Um, for, you know, for the starting gate, we will never go. Uh, you know, quite often people come to me and they're on the verge of wanting to leave a relationship and the dreams will sh- turn it around and show the, the dreamer that there's a lot to look at on their, on their side about um, what they're doing to avoid this descent. So I think I think it's really really common, actually, Cindy. To you know, because mm-hmm. blame is a way to well, blame, not. I'm sorry. Feel exact and blame feels so much better because um, you know we've all done it. I mean, we don't have to take responsibility. We can point the finger at someone else. You know, it's our boss. It's our um, you know our child, our our um, partner. You know, on and on. And, right. And so, so how, in the context of dreams. How, how does this kind of become, how do we unravel this? Well, look, that's what I was saying a minute ago, that the dream will show you, um, re, regard, unless it's an abusive relationship where you need to get out, and mm-hmm. certainly there are situations mm-hmm. where the best thing you can do is quit your job or quit that relationship, that is definitely they're a small percentage of the time mm-hmm. on the population of people that we see that tends not to be as much of an ish, ish, issue, but I know that there, that is a, uh, can be a big thing. Um, and why we stay in those relationships that are abusive, usually if they make a first, uh, perfect projection for, for trauma from a past time that we get to relive. But that's not the question. The, the 
thing you asked me was what, what was what were we working on, Krista? Well, relationship, really. And I, I was thinking that we, we could tell you about what we faced into because that's what the book is really about. Exactly. And I think, that's, that was the, pr- I was kind of going in that direction. So dive in. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, both Mark and I had been in other relationships in our lives. I mean, he's in his 60s, I'm in my 50s. Uh, we've been married, had other, you know, whole lives before each other, before coming together romantically. Um, but when we came together, we both had dreams um, because we completely opened our hearts to each other or or wanted to. That then showed, um, you know, the sort of doorway to deeper trauma than either of us had ever dealt with. And we got to really see how, um, certainly for myself, by being in the marriage, you know, the relationship that I was in, um, I, I couldn't really go down into this past life trauma until I was with somebody, first of all, who was really actually going to be there with me through it as mm-hmm. I sort of delve deeper. And um, I got to see how I, my commitment to Mark was that I wouldn't use him as a reason not to open. Mm-hmm. And he did the same. And so we spent really the first year and a half of our romantic relationship um, working through both of us these the deeper trauma. And, and Mark had a dream right away where he and I are strapped to this great big stone and the stone falls off a cliff and it turns this way and that way. This way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and this is how it was like one, you know, for the one passage, it was my turn to look at deep pain and dreams that led me to really uh, deal with the great loss and devastation of, of earlier lifetimes. And then the stone would turn and it would be Mark's turn. And it was a very, very intense time of, of healing. And um, it only happened because part of our, our commitment to coming together was to, not, to, to encourage each other to go deeper rather than uh, using each other as a way to avoid Right, and so we did this sort of massive amount of inner work. Right, with- it's so it's it's so obvious in in that book, flesh off the bone, that you're both spiraling into this abyss is almost like, <laughs> like, felt yeah. like. And I I just I mean the the way you expose yourselves, your your vulnerable underbellies. I mean, it's just all there, mm. and and and, I, and it leads me to this question to to either of you, um, and you've already we've already skirted this as well. But why does pain and love have to go hand in hand? Well, I would uh, say that... Or does um, it? We, we have to look at when you try to say the word pain, because mm-hmm. there's, there's several there's different pain. There's, the, there's the, the, the pain of the girl. Like, I had a dream about the girl, she was in the, she girls, typically the soul of men and women. There's a boy aspect, but the girl is definitely the dominant thing. It's what Carl wrote, wrote about. Mm-hmm. And she's usually around the age of between seven and 10. And she's mailing all these letters to everybody in the world. And she's crying. And she's also has this huge bear that's helping her. And uh, she said, I, I said, why are you crying? She said, nobody's answering my letters. Of course, you know, I know because 
I'm in the work and I work with so many people and I know that people have a hard time listening to their soul. Mm -hmm. Often because they think they are the soul or they know better or something or they just don't feel deep enough to hear her. Mm -hmm. Of course, that changes over time. People really do get it. But she's crying and that, that pain, when you begin to feel into your own soul, you feel that pain, which is different than... The pain of, let's say, you have a trauma where you lose someone that you love or you were, you were tortured or whatever, these uh, feelings of loss and suffering that we have in the world for who knows how far back. Those are memories that stay with us until we resolve them. So that's when I say, like, love and pain, well, let's take, let's take trauma pain. Well, trauma pain gets to be healed by love. So that's one reference. And you go down to, to the deepest wound, whatever, however far back it is in your dream journey in the descent, that's where the healing will finally be. And so love heals, heals woundedness. There's that kind of thing, why it's connected. But on another level, why it's connected is because great love feels the loss, feels the pain of other people's loss from their own souls. And so that's, um, uh, that's another form of, of, of that, the idea of Madonna's tears and that, uh, the icon crying that references the, that reality. We all somehow know that, that, that uh, we're miserable and that there's some, some, something that, that, that grieves for us, just like when we grieve for our child if our child is having a hard time in life. Mm -hmm. So greater love has no, nothing, I mean, pain and the greatest love go together. We feel it in our own lives with people that we care about that are struggling. So, yes, they go together. Okay. You're listening to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 Bangor and streaming online, WERU.org. I'm talking with um, Krista Lancaster and Mark Bregman, and they are both the co-directors of the North of Eden Retreat Center, in which they do a work called Archetypal Dream Work, a very um, deep, soul-felt type of work that helps one to experience um, their gifts and their soul. We're going to take a very brief break. We're going to come back and a few more questions, and then we'll open up to callers. Welcome back, and we are going to continue our conversation here on Healthy Options about Archetypal Dreaming. I'm talking with Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster of the North of Eden, uh, located in Montpelier, Vermont. Uh, website is www.northofeden.com, and a phone number, 802 229 
4785. Um, Mark, we're, you're talking about the girl, and I, I believe Jung talked about the girl pretty much that every, uh, specifically every person has to kind of go back and reclaim that part of the divine feminine. Am, am I right. correct in that? So, so let, let's, um, we've already kind of talked about trauma and we've skirted this a little bit about the past life. And let's just go there. What's the significance of the past life trauma within present day, within the present day soul? So um, in the Red Book, um, he just, Carl discovers in one of his stories that the girl, the girl has been, been, been mutilated and, uh, and is dead. And the archetype comes to him, uh, a personification of the Adama, and says he must eat her liver. And of course, he's, he, as he does in the Red Book, he's often uh, very um, reactive, like reflecting us all. Well, I'm not going to do that. And he does, in the end, do it. And when he does take the bite, he has such horror. And the point of that is about horror. It's about him feeling horror, the trauma of something terrible, some terrible, terrible loss. So um, the, the road to, to the soul is through the trauma. Like Krista had mentioned earlier, that for whatever reason, when you use the word also vulnerability, well, there's some relationship between being relatively vulnerable and then something terrible happening. And since we probably all started out relatively vulnerable, Something happens, and because we're vulnerable, it gets in us. It really, it really cuts us deep. And so we don't want to go back to the vulnerability because that's where we were so hurt. And so, and so, so we can't be the soul because the soul is so vulnerable. You, you have to go through the hurt and get the healing around the trauma in order to become that deeply connected with the soul. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like why the, so what we try to do of course, there's nothing that, you know, I mean, that, the Red Book just came out a couple of years ago. I mean, nobody really understands that deep of a path because we all want to kind of feel better. Mm-hmm. The idea that we have to feel worse to feel better, it, 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 I think it's starting to now get more people understand because I think people have tried other ways to work their edge of spiritual connection without touching into their deeper hurts. I think people more and more that we, we're getting to interviews and so forth are saying, yeah, we know that. Like, people are starting to really know that, that you can't just look in a mirror and tell yourself you're great and you're going to be great. Or, you know, you have to really do the work. And Carl Jung was the vanguard of that, but he hid the Red Book. It was been hidden since uh, he wrote it in the in World War One era, so it's only now out, and I think one would have to think because people are more ready to look at that part of themselves that the dreams are shouting at us. We call them nightmares, and we want to get rid of them, but they're really invitations to deal with our trauma. Nightmares are simply not nightmares. They're simply an opportunity to heal. So can I jump in here? Because um, 
I want to relate what you're saying, Mark, to your question, Cindy, about the uh, about past lives. Great. What Mark's really saying is the deeper you go. Uh, and working through trauma, you know, if you have childhood trauma, sexual abuse, or exposure to tyranny or violence, uh, um, and some people don't have that kind of trauma and yet have symptoms of PTSD. And that was certainly the case for myself that mm -hmm. I think I, I wrote about in, in the book, Flash. Right. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I have these symptoms. I woke up in the night with night terrors my entire life, and I never really dealt with them until I had dreams that took me back to a time when I, I lived in a village in Europe, and the entire village was devastated. Now, over a period of eight years, I had dreams that kept would take me another step deeper, and I didn't really know about a specific time or place that the dreams were located until Mark and I got together and then I suddenly realized we needed to go to southwestern France to explore the divine feminine and uh, the mythos around Mary Magdalene having gone to France uh, after Christ died. And um, at that point when I said we've got to go and Mark was like, okay, let's go. And we started reading about um, the sect there called the Cathars who had, who seemed to have an affinity with the kind of work that we were doing here in Vermont was just kind of like, okay, we'll just go see what this is about. Well, the Cathars were the, they were Gnostics. I mean, right? I mean, the reason that they were, they were killed was because they believed that you could have a divine relationship without an intermediary. Exactly. Exactly. That During the time of the Inquisition, right? I think it was, it was what? 13th Early century, 13th 12th. century. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, we, you know, we felt this affinity, and we were doing, this dream work really is, archetypal dream work is Gnostic work. It's about having uh, your own relationship with the divine and working through the psychological pieces, of course, t to, to get that back. Mm -hmm. So off we went to France, and then I started having dreams very specifically set in that time. And uh, which led, you know, to the culminating dream about actually being inside um, a burning hut and 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 really having to uh, re-experience that sort of dying by uh, smoke inhalation. And when I had that dream, and once I stay, could stay in the terror and recognize that this is what had happened to me, then almost like overnight. I had no more symptoms of PTSD. I still had to work through the moments where that trauma was triggered in my daily life, but I no longer had uh, night terrors. And and then other people in the circle of North of Eden also over a two or three year period began to have very specific dreams set in that time. So. As we were really exploring this, and as we write about in the book, our own understanding of what had happened, we sort of pieced together like a puzzle. You know, whether or not we were there, you know, it's hard to know exactly how it all begins and ends, but certainly there was this sense that we had known that era and, and that many of us had, had lived through it or died in it. And this I mean, the reason why it's really important to talk about it is that then many more people started coming to us for individual work 
with presenting dreams that related to past life trauma. So it was as if by going through the doorway and down into our own and really coming out and through, which is what we did. And our next book is about, you know, life after dealing with past life trauma. Then, you know, the folks who who were needing that kind of um, healing or wanting to go all the way through that started arriving. Right. You know, so it was, it was a pretty incredible thing because I never really thought about past life, anything. Um, and I think it's that kind of thing until you have the dream, you could, it would be completely understandable to be highly skeptical about it. About past uh, lives. Yeah. I think Brian Weiss is another, uh, therapist who writes about past lives and, and yep, in between and lives. Yep, and, and Roger Wolder has done a lot of work in that area. Yeah, it's very, very fascinating. I mean, whether one wants to believe in that or not, there's certainly, I think many people have that I've spoken to too have these like deja vu experiences or something, or they have the, and they, they have no place to really quite put it. Right. And, well, I think that's the thing. Once, once I had the past life dreams, uh, through which I could work. Yeah, the context. Me, yeah, the context. Yeah, it gave me a context. Instead of thinking, well, why am I, why do I have this unbelievable terror? You know, why am I triggered in, with these trauma symptoms? Yeah, the context was, was huge. And I, I, I've noticed with people that it really helps to know, okay, there is some reason somewhere in time why it's so hard to step forward in life or or why when you step towards your desire, there's also, you know, this paralysis. I think a lot of people experience that. Right, that paralysis. I'm going to, uh, we're going to continue the conversation, but I am going to open the phone line to callers. There, uh, you can call us uh, if you have a question for Mark or Krista on our toll-free number, one 625 Seven eight, and I'll give it to you again, listeners. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. I I have to say, Krista and Mark, when I was reading Flesh Off the Bone about the Cathars, I mean, I could feel the the hairs on my arm and the back of my neck stand up. It was just such a. Um, I actually had a like a, a, a visceral and an emotional reaction, Krista, to your writings about the Cathars. It was really powerful for me, too, um, just in reading that. And so let's, let's um, you know, so certainly the dreams, um, well, well, let me ask you this. How and why do we make choices that actually perpetuate our traumas? Well, I, I would just say that um, when we talk about going the other way for a second, we talk about the first stage of dreams where we have to undo our patterns. The thing is, you don't get, um, if, if the dream is going to give you a, st- a memory of your past life, most of us don't get that memory until we actually are able to feel the feeling is if somebody tells you the story and you don't, you can't feel into it, it's not really going to help you in your healing. So the key is you have to feel the feeling of that terrible moment, whatever that was. And if you can't feel it, then generally you're not going to get a dream with a story about it. 
So the first step is, is to undo the dynamics of the psyche that keep you from feeling. That's really what those behaviors do. They keep us from feeling. And then as you can start opening your feelings, then the inner drama happens with past lives. And, of course, the whole alchemical process of coming to terms with dying to the, to the girl. There's a whole other area we didn't really talk much about. Mm-hmm. So, but I just wanted to make this point that it isn't just about knowing about your past life. It's having the capacity to feel into those difficult feelings that are buried down, down deep. And that's the first stage of the work is, 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 is helping people to get underneath their, we call the ego pathology, the, the idealized self, to find those things. Oftentimes people, some of them know those feelings are there and they cope with them thinking that they're bad and, 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 or take drugs or other things. And some people don't even know that they're even there. And then when they start getting them, some of them wish they didn't have to have them. But they're going to lead somewhere that goes back to some past experience and then back to the healing and the way to find the girl again. And so, Mark, define um, what pathology is for listeners. So this is a tricky term. Um, you, it's hard to uh, imagine that there are actually forces in the psyche that have nothing to do with us that want us to not do this work, that want us to not find our soul. So there are two aspects, two ways of looking at pathology. One is, and it, and it does come up in dreams, of the, that there's this other will that is not us in us trying to suppress our capacity to grow or to even do this work. And as, um, so some people would contend that that will that pathology is what ended the Cathars and others who are trying to point the way to enlightenment and, and waking up. So um, the other way to look at pathology that's not as challenging is just that anytime you're having a reaction, the symptom of a deeper pathology, the thing that really relates to us in the day-to-day, as Krista was saying, is our reaction. The reaction, what is a reaction? It covers up fear. Reaction is really a mutation of a feeling, which we call an emotion versus a feeling, that actually tries to cover up for a deeper feeling. So anything that covers up a deeper feeling with another feeling is pathology. That, that would be the psychological way to look at it. But it's actually, and comes up in dreams, as a deeper uh, um, unconscious will that I think Freud talked about it as thanatos, the desire to, for self-destruction, which I think is an us. It's something that wants to keep us contained and away from uh, the, the, the glory of our, of our beingness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, let's um, give also like a little bit of an example. You, uh, I want you to, to um, one of you to speak about the Holy Grail as you talk about it in your book, and you cite the other um, other books that you got your information from in your book, Flesh Off the Bone. But speak about the Holy Grail. In other words, the possible definitions um, of the Grail itself, and how blood in dreams is a potent symbol. And what blood is a symbol for? Blood is, blood is 
Blood is kundalini or passion or pain or love. It's very deep feeling. And as far as as far as the, the metaphorical meaning of the grail, it's it's the place where alchemy occurs. It's a place where the most sacred part of this work is when all the feelings are opened and put into this soup where you work different feelings with other feelings and the therapist works that within dreams and the person and a transformation of change occurs without intention. It's like mixing chemicals or chemistry. It's the most important piece of work that we can't talk about. But it's what we use, it's what Carl talks about, it's what we try to teach. It's incredible work. It's the key to the, how things change and how dreams have this. So the vessel for that is, is the Holy Grail. Now, of course, then there's the, the other side of that, which is the Grail legend and the cup that Christ drank from and the bloodline that goes from Mary into the world, in, 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 into humanity that was another reason for the persecution, say some. So that's a different a different story or a different myth, mythology that... But two different interpretations for the, uh, for the grail. Right, and I, I believe that they're both right. I think it's I think I think they're they're linked because Gnostic the Gnostic Gnosticism is actually a bloodline. Not it's a bloodline in the sense that everyone has a soul and everyone has dreams and everyone has a way back to them to their real self. So that's the bloodline and um that, uh, it, you know, there was just a recent thing. A papaya was discovered a while back. It was interpreted recently in the New York Times the other day. That three things that Jesus said. One was he talks about his bride and that she was the, his disciple. Another thing was talked about is vision work. And that's the second time we've seen it because in Mary's, uh, findings of her material. She also used the word vision work, which is this, which we believe is dream work. Vision at that time meant dreams. So they were doing this kind of work, which I think is the core to the Gnostic practice of self-disclosure and journeying to the deepest regions of the psyche, where the real self lives. And um, I think all these pieces link back to a practice. And this is what Carl's Red Book was so hidden for, the practice of unfolding the soul. And, and not, this isn't about, this is, this is about, it was shocking to me to look, read the Red Book and realize the work that I was discovering and was shown exactly what Carl was talking about, but never really postulated in his other 25 books. So it's very secret material that, that it shouldn't be, but just that it's threatening, I would assume, for folks, particularly years ago, and it was persecuted for. So, anyway, long answer to a, a complicated question. So, um, but you just uh, mentioned uh, an article about Jesus that was just recent. Was that in the Times, did you say? Yes, it was the New York Times, and uh, they had found the papaya with some writings that goes back. Papyrus, honey, papyrus. Papyrus. Papyrus, okay. Through. Yeah. 
Yeah, with a uh, there's a uh, a historian. Um, I can't remember where she's from, and she presented her findings about this papyrus uh, to the Vatican. I think that was in the Times three weeks ago, and um, so there was a lot of discussion about whether it was real or not, um, and different historians and uh, experts in papyrus were were commenting on it. But uh, a lot of people, I think she's at Yale, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, it was it was very interesting to us to see that uh, there was something on paper, literally. Yeah, that's been up in the news again recently, because this has been written about in many books about Mary Magdalene being the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ, about Christ being married, Yahshua right. ben Joseph, about at that time, in that time in history, he would have had a wife, a family, that that wasn't so far out of... Um, far off the map as right and that her sort of extraordinary spiritual presence as a teacher um you know has been so suppressed and that was what was a big part of our being drawn to southwestern france because there was this flowering of that civilization it sounds like you also know about um where where women were land holders and uh you know very unusual in Europe at that right. time well it's women. the it's the embra- it's embracing the feminine the feminine and the feminine divine but the feminine divide is divine is not void of the masculine either but but i i through this lens it's like the feminine divine is i i see it in part as the jungian concept of the girl yeah you know coming that. back to the to the soul Right, exactly. Through that and, lens. And the, it, it wiped out, nothing left. Well, try, certainly tried to wipe it out historically. and yet, Did a good job. Yeah, yeah, but these stories have still stayed with us, and whether it's, you know, how much is myth and how much of it is history, it's hard to know, right, because the victor gets to write the history. That's right. So often these things are encoded, you know, in in poetry or sculpture or painting, and we have to put the pieces together to get the story. And I thought the homework that you did in putting that um, history and in, in, in flesh off the bone was um, very well done from my perspective. You're, you're listening to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 Bangor and streaming online WERU.org. And I'm having a conversation about archetypal dream work, which is a, a type of felt work, a, a type of soul work with Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster, who are both co-director co-directors of the North of Eden Retreat Center. And North of Eden is in Montpelier, Vermont. And I'm going to give you a website if you're interested in delving more into this, www.northofeden.com. And uh, a phone number is 802-229-4785. We have very little time left, but I want to ask this question. As a dream, as dream work therapist, what... Describe for listeners a bit about that type of work in this context. Chris, why don't you answer that, but also maybe talk about really quickly our string work. Sure. Well, we do, we mostly, the, the core of what we do is one-on-one uh, therapy work using the dreams as the, as the focus. And um, so that really is like, uh, you know, an hour-long session where we delve into, uh, in a collaborative way, uh, finding out what all the parts of the dreams mean 
to the dreamer and then finding the the opening and inviting the dreamer to go towards it and uh often we need that support to go towards things that are are scary or difficult um what mark's also speaking about is we work in a group context using a form of dramatic enactment of the dream which we call string work and we do this at our retreat center in different places and it's it's kind of a very wonderful way of entering into the visceral body of the dream and feeling the parts of the dream that um are either showing what's blocking our descent or the opening so and we use the group we have eight to ten people in a group and they play the, the different roles with the dreamer uh like a, like a theater like and, a psychodrama uh, and we go all over the world with that and we just were in portland the other week and did a retreat there so on our website it lists the list of places that we go that you can just even if you're not in the one-on-one work you could come to our retreat center here or any of the places around the world that we go to and uh and sign up and have an incredible experience of the dreams and other books and resources that you want to tell our listeners about through the context of archetypal dreaming, your work, and perhaps others also doing um, spinning off. Yeah, of your work. but I would recommend that you can read all our books on our website. Actually, if the truth be known, but a wonderful little book that Mark wrote is called Dreaming Metaphysical, and you can order it on uh, on Amazon or you can read it on our website, but. It really gives you, in short, very digestible pieces, um, the essence of the different aspects of of how we work with dreams and what is possible, you know, which is uh, always good to know. We're talking about a lot of the descent through the hard stuff, but it's really to get to the love, to the greater core of love and, um, and potency that... Um, is deep down there at the so, bottom of the well. So when and you, also, oh, sorry. Quick, we have a blog uh, called Carl and Me. It's uh, www.carl-me. And it's the treatise uh, in, that it comes out every week. It extends it about how our work, it's a, like it's critiquing the Red Book based on this work. So it's mm-hmm. the Red Book is explained through the process of the dream work that that we do. And it really opens up Carl's work and opens up ours, our work. And that's all free, of course. So um, each night when we go to sleep, we need to really pay attention to our dreams because there's a whole wealth of information for us in our waking hours. Would we all concur? Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I want to thank you both um, for being my guests on today's show, Healthy Options. And um, thank you to Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster, the co-directors of North of Eden in Montpelier, Vermont, um, www.northofeden.com. Thank you to Joel Mann for engineering this show. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Healthy Options. My name is Cynthia Swan. Thanks again.
Support for WERU Health Related.